Welcome. You are listening to You Have Matched with Anthony Ramos, Carlos Alcalde, and Emmanuel Salcedo. You Have Matched represents the culmination of a long road full of joys, sorrows, ups and downs towards medical residency in the United States. Join us now to discover unique stories full of hard work, setbacks, resilience, joys, and a lot of perseverance. In this episode, we will have Dr. Purva Cha, an internal medicine candidate for the March 2023. I met Dr. Purva Cha at Jackson Hospital in Miami, Florida. She's an advocate for INGs and passionate about management of chronic illnesses. Hello, Purva. Thank you very much for joining us today. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us about your educational background? Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me for this podcast. It's a really interesting venue that you've taken and it will be helpful for a lot of people. And yes, so I am Purva Shah. I completed my internship at Medical College Baroda in India last year in March and I graduated in January 2022. Currently, I'm working as a research scholar at Harvard Medical School and I'll be applying for internal medicine residency this year. Thank you. That's very exciting, Purva. Just to introduce myself, my name is Emmanuel and I'm very glad that you're spending some time with us today. I was hoping to ask if you could share a little bit about your USMLE journey. What was it like when you started? Uh, what maybe what material you went into? Ah, uh, thank you. Uh, so when I started my USMLE journey, I was in second or third year of medical school, and saying that in that time I went on the internet and searched for what was required to improve my application to the residency programs, and I realized that research played a very important role. And that is how I started looking for experiences, research experiences in India. And I found a studentship from the Indian Council of Medical Research. So right from there, my USMLE, started, uh, my USMLE journey started, I would say. Over the years, throughout this journey, I believe that I have grown a lot as a person and not just as a residency applicant be it preparing for my step exams, be it volunteer work or leadership opportunities or research work or even clinical experiences. So I think it's a wholesome journey and I believe every medical student must go through it irrespective of whether they wish to go forward with residency in the US or not. Just going through this journey will change your perspective about medicine in general. I totally agree with you, Purva. Like the USMLE journey is like, it takes a lot from you. You have to study a lot. And then it's pretty sometimes intimidating process, but you actually grow as a person, as you said, throughout this journey. Also going back to the USMLE step one, what resources did you use to actually study for it? Yes. So for my step one exam, I mainly focused on UWorld and First Aid. So these were my two major resources. So first aid I might have read about three to four times and I would definitely suggest this to everybody because it is a good resource. And UWorld, I only went through it once. The important tests, exams that I took were UWSA, NBMEs, um, the free test that AMBOSS gives out every year and also free 120. So during my prep time, I was reading uh, first aid 
reading UWorld. In addition to that, system-wise, so for microbiology, I went through the sketchy micro videos. They were really, really helpful. And because of these videos, I am able to remember microbiology even today after about one and a half years. And for pathology, majority of my colleagues were watching Pathoma videos. They had a good experience with it. And I uh, listened to Golian audio. And I had my Golian textbook, but I was not able to complete even one fourth of it. But I definitely listened to all of Golian audios. And for ethics, I was not able to go through the specific resources that we have for ethics. So there are specific books that you can go through. And I would suggest anybody who is applying for step one or step two, you have to be very, very strong in your ethics because the percentage of questions are increasing every year. For Biostat, it's Med School Resource or UWorld. For Pharmacology, I went through my Med School notes and my colleagues used Sketchy Pharmac, so that is something you can go through. There are other books like Rapid Review and BRS. So these two companies have books on every subject. Whichever subject you think you might need improvement, you take that book, you get that book online and then read it and just be confident about that subject. For anatomy, I would definitely suggest go through the CT images, USG images, heart sounds, lung sounds, and x-rays when you study. So for any case that you solve on UWorld, I would definitely suggest that listen to heart sounds examples of heart sounds on the internet to uh, go through the CT images because they are present in the actual step exam. And as a medical student, you do not have a lot of experience with that. For biochemistry, I enjoyed Kaplan notes. So for biochemistry, it's good if you know a bit extra, more than what has been given in first aid because genetics has not been touched upon in detail in first aid. And I would definitely suggest that have another resource for genetics. For physiology, it was, again, med school notes, but BRS physiology, some people are reading. During my step one, I will just completely cover all the things I've mentioned and end this answer. So my dedicated period was two months for step one. And towards the end, I was only focusing on my week topics. So I used to take a test every week. And during that week, I focused on my week subjects. and went through the UWorld notes. All right. Thank you. Well, Purva, that's very true. That's very true. There are questions that are audible sounds and it's important to be able to be able to differentiate them. So I actually appreciate you touching that topic. As far as cubings go, you, you've mentioned a lot of material. Uh, some people say that UWorld is almost like the holy grail for the steps, but there are so many different resources as far as cubings now, like AMBOSS, Kaplan, Pass Test. Did you have any personal preference or would you recommend using one over the other for a certain topic? Oh, yes. Thank you, Emmanuel, for bringing this up. So during my internship, I did not start UWorld. I was going through the AMBOSS questions because I had a lot of time. But during my dedicated, only and only I focused on UWorld. Back in medical school, I did go through USMLE Rx. So that's basically all questions from first aid. I would suggest stick to AMBOSS and UWorld. Be thorough with your concepts. And when you are solving questions, if you are thorough with individual topics, solve questions in test mode 
full course rather than subject mode and tutor mode because having simulated your exam multiple times at home will make you so so confident that it only feels like a practice test on the main day very true you have to train like you play and if you uh, simulate them i used to do the same thing actually with my preparation as far as step 2 goes do you have any advice for that and if you could share a little bit about your preparation oh yes so step 2 mainly focuses on clinical knowledge and during the final year and internship years we do go through a lot of stuff that is being asked on step 2 so for step 2 i only focused on u world i did not have the first aid for step 2 i also listened to divine intervention podcasts so some of the topics which are missed either in u world or your step 1 prep for example the process of aging or immunization or screening tests these points are very well mentioned in the divine podcast and i would definitely advise all those who are preparing for step 2 to check the podcast out as don't go through the entire podcast if you are short on time but just go through the important ones regarding exams so my dedicated period again was 2 months and during that time i went through the u world notes so as as i was solving questions i used to copy paste all material inside the u world notes and i went through all the notes during my dedicated i took tests same way uwsa and bme free 120 and amboss for reading material i did use amboss and it was really good saying that you can have a flow charts in amboss which tell you about the steps of diagnosing a condition or the steps of treating a condition so when you prepare for step 2 one very important advice would be learn the management process in the form of flow charts so when a patient comes to you with cough and cold the first thing you will do clinically the second thing you will do third thing so with lab reports imaging differentials and treatment plans drugs and home management everything you learn in the form of flow chart so that it becomes very easy for you to remember and revise before the exam thank you purva and i am also a really fan of the by intervention his podcast is really great and actually covers a lot of important topics are uh, regarding usimilistic too and as you said flowcharts are pretty important when you're you're about to take the step 2 because once they ask you a question about what do you have to do first and what do you have to do next what happens if you don't have this uh, lab laboratory exam so that's pretty important as well so for us as ings we have to take the oit can you share your experience regarding the oit how do you prepare for it yes So of course as everybody knows due to covid the pattern changed from CS to OET and personally it took me 3 weeks to prepare for OET and 1 week of dedicated prep for but saying that the number of days or the number of months required to prepare for OET depends on your baseline the command you have over the english language at baseline and how much you need to improve to get to the passing score so that period of preparation changes from person to person what i did for writing i solved the questions available on oet official website and the answers i checked with the samples given i also wrote extra i went through youtube videos 
and online I searched for samples. So I read a lot of samples during my prep period. I wrote a couple of samples. I wrote a couple of practice tests and had my colleagues who had already passed OET check them out for me and give me their critique. For listening and reading, I only solved OET practice tests, the ones available on OET website. I believe these are enough if your baseline is average. And for speaking, I was uh, the least confident when it came to speaking tasks. So I approached people on Telegram and I was fortunate to get a speaking partner and we shared the same OET date and we were able to practice every alternate day for our speaking test. Thank you very much, Pura, for going into each one of those. I prepped around two or three weeks for OET as well. And, and I agree. I think that is sufficient. As far as your uh, steps preparation goes, for example, when I took step one, I actually had COVID. <laughs> so I had a fever oh. halfway through the exam and wasn't even aware of it. But did you have any anecdotes or any, you know, uh, unique stories that you, you could share about your preparation for the steps? First of all, Emmanuel, that's something like I hope your journey was easygoing, even with the COVID. With my journey, I would say the most difficult period I had was in between my step one and step two exams. So midway in my step two prep, I felt exhausted of the process. And I took a few days off and I talked to my seniors who had already went through the process about how to cope up with exam stress, how to cope up with the monotony of sitting and studying every day when I wanted to go to the hospital and see patients. So thankfully, I was working as a physician assistant at HCG Hospital. So I used to go there too and see patients and get fresh. But for studying, two things, which my seniors advised and I really followed that and it helped me a lot. Number one, exercise, be physically active. So every day, make it a part of your routine and go outside of your home and exercise and be physically active. And second thing I learned was discipline was important over motivation. So motivation comes in spurts, but discipline stays at the same level, all days at a baseline. So I would say be disciplined, be consistent, but also keep time for relaxation and enjoyment. That's really true, Purva, because the assembly journey is pretty stressful. And there are some times that you just feel like giving up and that you're not moving forward and that you have to study a lot to actually take just one single exam. And it's actually a lot for everyone. And I think, as you said, having like a routine, something, doing something different and other, yeah, other than just studying is actually going to be really helpful. In order actually to come here as an ING, we have to have like United States clinical experience. Do you have any kind of clinical experience before you apply to the match? Yes. So currently I'm working as a visiting physician at the medical ICU at Jackson Memorial University of Miami. And I was able to get this uh, observership through contacting directly with the program coordinator. And I actually had a virtual observership during COVID. So the problem was during COVID, there was a travel ban and we were unable to travel to the US. So I applied for a virtual observership at a cardiac ICU and 
with that, I got information about program coordinator and I was able to get this observership. And before this, I was at Texas through an NGO called Shivani Bhatt Charitable Foundation. I was able to get a diverse clinical rotation with clinic and hospital. So it was cardiology, hospital and clinic. And it was really, really interesting. And before that, I was just contacting all physicians and all the residents that are working, all the coordinators. And I was able to get one opportunity to work at Hebrew Home in New York, which was a subacute setting for severe patients and patients with multiple comorbidities. So I'm thankful for my USCE. I am thankful that in spite of COVID, in spite of the post-COVID increase in the number of applicants for USCE, I was able to get good experiences here. I'm glad that was able to work out for you, Purva. And uh, I think we've talked about US clinical experience and the tests themselves. I know another important part of a person's application is their research experience. Uh, Did you have any research experience and any advice that you would give our listeners regarding that? Yes. So one advice I would like to give would be start early and work consistently. So the thing is, with research, I started back in second year of medical school. I applied for this studentship with the Indian Council of Medical Research. When I, when I was new to the field of research, I was just getting to know about how to conduct research. And it got, I got rejected the first time I applied. And I would say, don't get stressed out by rejections. Apply again, apply again and again, and you will eventually get it. So I was lucky. Um, I luckily completed my studentship there. And um, after medical school, I joined my Baroda Medical College as a research associate for one year, where we are working on three clinical trials there. After that, Right now, I am a research scholar at Harvard Medical School where we're learning statistical analysis, we're learning epidemiology and how to conduct clinical trials. It's a very good learning experience. And I am actually in the process of drafting my own clinical trial in India. So looking forward to how it turns out. And recently, I started an organization called the International Society for Chronic Illnesses. And one of the programs at ISCI is called Peer Research Mentorship Program. In this program, we are teaching research to medical students and recently graduated physicians about how to conduct studies. And I am one of the mentors and project heads of this program. Thank you, Prabhupada. That's pretty and. As an ING, we know we have to have like a pretty complete application in order to have more chances to actually match. And we have to actually care about research. And for all our listeners out there, do you think there is something else that as an ING, somebody can actually do to improve their chances of actually getting a position as a resident here in the United States? Yes. So the first thing I would like to say is go through the ERAS application, go through the CVs of people who have already matched and get an idea about what are the basic requirements that have to be met by everybody, be it research, be it voluntary work, be it USCE, good uh, good step scores. All these are the basic tick marks. But after that, there should be one thing which separates you from the other applicants. And 
throughout the USMLE journey, you will face some difficulties, you will face successes, and you will understand yourself. You will understand the aspirations and goals that you have from your life. So get to know about that and then focus your activities towards achieving that goal. For example, after my step one exam, I realized that, uh, so I had been thinking about this and I had been having experiences for a long time. It struck me at one moment that I wanted to improve the quality of life of people with chronic conditions around the world. And this led me to find this organization, the ISCI, and we are working towards achieving that goal. I think that's a very noble cause, Purva, and thank you for sharing about that. Hopefully, if anyone is listening and they want to unite with your cause or maybe hear more about it, at the end we can share some of your uh, information, contact info. We'll also place it on our website. I did want to ask, in the U.S., uh, you know, networking and social media is so important to have people that you can follow and sort of be mentored by someone. I wanted to ask, how important do you think it is to establish a connection with a doctor in the U.S.? Yes, that is actually a great question. So let's divide this into two parts. Number one, what are connections? Who can be our connections? So they can be residents, they can be researchers, research fellows, research associates, they can be professors, program coordinators, and also our colleagues, the other applicants. And now let's come to how the connections can help us. So number one, of course, they can help us aid us into our residency application. They can make the residency application easier. Those who have already been successful in the residency journey, they can review our personal statements. They can review our CVs. Those who are working currently in a program can tell you about what the program offers and what is the ground reality of that hospital and patient care. Also, if you are in touch with your colleagues, it's a very good stress relief. Everybody's going through the same thing. It is important to talk it out. And in addition to this, you will be able to get multiple opportunities, not just for your residency application, but also otherwise. And one thing that I found very, very useful was LinkedIn. So when I first joined LinkedIn about one and a half years or two years back, I used to contact about 10 to 15 people every day. It was a small number for one day. But when you accumulate that number over a month or even over two months, it becomes a huge number. And people want to help you. People are waiting to help you. You just need to reach out to them. One thing I would also suggest is have your CVs on LinkedIn well-prepared. Look good on your social medias so that when you approach for help, people want to help you. That is so useful for international medical graduates to actually like, you know, network with people that actually do, they're already residents here or they're doing research. You can actually get in contact with them and actually get opportunity to actually do research or any kind of, I don't know, clinical experience as well. That is pretty useful. So Purva, do you have any tip for all the listeners out there who want to actually pursue the USIMILI journey? One tip that might be useful to our listeners would be break big tasks into smaller pieces. And then you create a very well 
designed timeline. So what I used to do, be it my step exams, be it my research work, or even the volunteering work, I used to divide, I used to first mention all the organizations or all the activities that I was a part of on a piece of paper. Then I would make an arrow and mention all the tasks that I was supposed to do. So some tasks can be recurring. You are supposed to do every month. Some tasks are just once for once. So you divide that into those segments and then you provide specific days for specific tasks. It is very, very important to document what you are supposed to do because there is just so much that you have to handle throughout the process of your application. And it is very important to accomplish each one of these tasks with your full capacity. So document everything, break big tasks into smaller pieces and create a very detailed timeline that will help you a lot. These are all just gold nuggets that you're giving us, Purva. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you, really. I want to ask, and as we're running out of time here, one last question. Uh, Could you give us a a sentence uh, or a phrase, I guess, that could sum up your story and your experience with the USMLE? Well, so... One sentence that has been playing nonstop in my mind for the past couple of days was bake the cake first and decorate it later. So just go through the basic tick marks that you have to accomplish to be eligible for residency in the US. Bake that cake first and then go on to icing the cake and putting decorations by adding more experiences to your CV or making new connections or whatever you can think of can add your application. So I think that would be my go-to sentence from now. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Purva, for for sharing with that. And uh, thank you for spending some time with us. I know uh, you and Anthony met over in uh, Florida, so I'll let him close it up. Go ahead, Anthony. Thank you, Purva. It was pretty useful. And I really, really appreciate your time. And I hope it goes well for the MASH 23 for all the INGs out there that are applying this MASH. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Anthony and Emmanuel, for having me. I hope this podcast would be useful to all the listeners out there. Thank you. Have a nice day. This was Dr. Purva Shah, who we thank for joining us today. If you have any questions about the International Society of Chronic Illness or want to learn more about our podcast, you can navigate over to youhavematched.com. If you also enjoyed this podcast, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram.